Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Your bank should be solving your problems, not creating them. Platinum Bank partners with Twin Cities executives to help them grow their business. Learn more online at PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. Ultimately, you know, our goal is to be the fastest growing restaurant chain in American history, which I very much believe that we will do. And um, those that know me know I'm a fanatic and I won't sleep until I actually do it. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. Before the boutique fitness craze that landed spinning studios and boot camp gyms on every corner, there was Steel Fitness, a team of personal trainers who would show up at your home in a BMW and provide one-on-one fitness training. Behind the VIP service was an ambitious entrepreneur named Steel Smiley. Yes, actually, more on that later. He grew Steel Fitness to seven stores in the Twin Cities, then sold it to Snap Fitness and went to work for the franchise chain. But Steele quickly got the itch to start something else, this time a fast, casual salad shop called Crisp and Green. It's grown dramatically during the pandemic, thanks to a quick pivot to online ordering. Through franchising, Crisp and Green expects to hit 40 locations throughout the U.S. by the end of the year. But what do you do when your son doesn't like to eat salads every day and you're a vegan? You create a plant-based burger joint. The first stock and spade opened in April of 2021 in YZ, Minnesota. Steele's goal is to make stock and spade the fastest growing franchise business in the country. As you'll soon hear, he's not afraid of sweeping statements. Name it to claim it is something Steele has been doing since he was a kid. You know, I moved 14 times before I was 20. 14 times? Yeah, so um, very used to sitting at the lunch table by myself and... Um, you know, we, we moved. My father was the editor of a company newsletter, and, you know, he showed me how to work hard. And, um, you know, we, we grew up very, you know, very poor. And, um, you know, we, we, we didn't have everything that we needed, but we had each other. And the reality of it was he kept, you know, moving. We moved as a family 14 times, and um, each time was a better move for my family. We all did it together, my sister, myself, my mom and dad. And um, it, it worked out great for us, and it taught us a lot, and it shaped a lot of who I am today. I was going to say, what did that, what did that teach you? How, what, how do you think that impacted your personality? You know, I mean, I think it, it really impacts a person. And I don't think I really quite understood how much it impacted me uh, until I became an adult. But I, I think I spent a lot of time by myself alone, you know, because mm-hmm. you're, you're moving, you know, you're on that, you know, air, that bus pulls up and you got to try to figure out a way to get to school without interacting with too many people because you don't know anybody. And then you got to go have lunch, you know, and, and do that process, which was crazy. Cause I'd spend like eight minutes in the bathroom trying to kind of like wait it out. And I, I would spend 12 minutes, you know, getting my food and I try to leave 10 minutes early. So <laughs> I only had to, you know, sit by myself for 12 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, right. Right. Uh, or, or, or 10 minutes. So, you know, you develop you, the rhythm, you develop the rhythm and, and you watch people. And so, you know, and then I chose to be a swimmer, of course, and I spent all my water, all my time in underwater. 
mm. you know, in a pool. So I don't talk to anyone all day. <laughs> so you become very introverted um, and you, you watch and you observe. And, and that's, I think, why I do what I do today is because I watched people all, you know, my whole childhood, I just watched. So you were a swimmer. Is that where, I mean, were you always interested in fitness? You know, I, I was, a, you know, I would say I was, a, I was a reasonable athlete. I was, I was a great runner. Um, that's how I started. Um, you know, I was a, what, 15-some, you know, 15-minute 5K-er. I mean, I was quick. Wow, um, yeah. And, uh, and then I, I broke my foot, and so I couldn't run. Um, and I had to, you know, I had to start doing something different, and I really got into swimming. And then, and then I just kept going. And, and uh, you know, fortunately enough, swam at the highest level possible outside the Olympics, which I missed trials in 96 by a couple wow. hundreds of a second. Um, paid for my college at the University of Virginia. Had world record teammates, so it was a it was a great experience for me. It taught me a lot. Um, but again, you have, you have a lot of time to think, going back and forth in that pool, look, uh-huh. looking at the line. You know. So were you? I mean, you were a serious enough athlete that that was kind of that was like your first career. I mean, it, is that what you were doing full time? Yeah, it was my job. I mean, I, I I woke up. I would be in the water at six o'clock in the morning. Um, I got a waiver in my high school, so I could show up late, so I could train longer. And then I would go right from after school directly into the pool for two hours. Um, and, you know, in that process, I, I made my first company. I, I was an entrepreneur at, at that same time. I, I sold T-shirts and, and made a kind of a fashion brand was my first brand. But it, what was it, it I, called? It was called Smiley Designs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I would sketch things out and I would have them screen printed. And I sold T-shirts and hats and I built a network of distributors, which were, you know, my, my swim buddies that, who would take it to their school and they would sell. And I would outfit them in, in the latest gear for free, but they would bring me back all the cash. And so, um, you know, I bought my first car that way, which was kind of cool. Um, but, you know, my, swimming was my main job. And, you know, I didn't love it, which was the crazy part about it. I, I was, I think I went my freshman year in high school all the way through my graduation, and I had never lost a single race. So, wow. um, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was my job, but I did not enjoy it. You know, hmm. I, I was good at it. Um, but I, I knew one day I had to marry something that I was good at and that I loved. Did you have any idea what that was going to be? Yeah, what I, were you I, thinking? No, no I, I thought it'd be investment banking, you know. And so I went to college, um, went through, you know, the undergrad program, got into business school. And I said, I'm going to go be a Wall Street guy. And uh, I, I remember an interview with Merrill Lynch, my first, uh, first interview, and it was just terrible. And I couldn't imagine going to Wall Street and, in New York. And this was, you know... Uh, year 2000. And, uh, you know, a bunch of my graduating kids went and then September 11th happened. Yeah. And I was glad I didn't go. And uh, I, I never looked back and I became an entrepreneur really full time at that point. But I was a, you know, I kind of thought I'd be an investment banker and I wanted to. Just because you wanted to make a lot of money? You know, I, 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 I mean, the honest answer was like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I spent a lot of time, you know, I, I, I read a lot and I watched movies. And I, I saw Pretty Woman. I thought it'd be, you know, I was like, that looks cool. What does he do? And he's like, I buy companies. And, and uh, you know, and, uh, and so I thought it'd be really cool to do that. And I know you had to have a background in order in finance to do mm-hmm. that. And so I really spent time learning numbers and, and spreadsheets. And so I didn't know what I'd do with it. I knew I had entrepreneurial drive. I just didn't know how I'd, how I'd marry the two. So you didn't go the big uh, corporate investment route. What did you do instead? You know, I came back to work for a technology company um, for a gentleman that I knew here in Minneapolis. And, uh, you know, it, it was a, it, it, you know, I was, I was young. I just graduated col- uh, college. I was eager. And, um, 
you know, and I, and I hated the job. Uh, is is the is the answer? Was I, it the working for someone else? No, no, I didn't. I, 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 you know, that was fine, but I just wasn't real. You know, I was selling like uh, we we were the first business in the country to sell like hosted space on servers, and this is like early two thousands, before you know the whole Apple thing, and and you know it it was it was the first kind of cloud based model that existed, and we were so far early. And, you know, I, I started and they didn't know where to put me because I was too outspoken. And, and uh, so, he, you know, I, I think the boss, the guy who ran the company and you know, moved me like four times because he's like, what do we do with this spirited kid? You know, and, mm-hmm. um, and eventually a year later, I ended up running the whole sales force. So they, it was kind of my first experience having a real responsibility. I think the, the guy that I replaced was in his mid 50s and he got, you know, I felt terrible. I was like 22 and running the sales team and, and it. But we did well. We actually really performed and I just was selling like vapor and I didn't really know what I was doing to help anybody or it didn't feel right. And so, you know, I, I essentially resigned. Okay. So when did the idea of fitness as a business get into your head? Yeah. You know, I, I went into fitness because I thought it'd be fun. What I didn't realize is that, you know, I was really, really early in a sector that was just emerging and I, I thought it'd be a passion and I, I love to weight train and run and you know, do anything, do anything athletic. Um, and um, I, I'm really glad I got into it when I did, but it was totally a passion project. I mean, I, I, I left and said, I'm, you know, for, for three or four months, this is what I'm going to do. And if I love to do it, you know, I'll continue with it. And I didn't realize it would take that turn and I would stay, you know, in that business for almost 15 years. So what was your initial idea for Steel Fitness? You know, the, the initial idea was to build an actual health club, um, was I wanted to build the first sort of high-end health club. I mean, there were, at that time, there were like the Gold's Gyms of the world. I think Lifetime was just beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was catered to kind of everybody. I wanted to build something that was for only people with super high expectations. And so I raised a bunch of money um, you know, I scraped it together from friends and family and I was, you know, probably 22, 23 years old and, uh, it was steel fitness is what I called it. And we were supposed to be at, I never forget, you know, in, in a building that ended up being empty for like nine years. So it was, it, I didn't know my site selection at that time, but I raised money and I got to the point where I was signing the lease and I had a little vision and, and a feeling inside of me that it wasn't right. And, uh, I don't know what it was to this day, but I got cold feet and I went back and I gave all the money back to the investors. Um, and it was about six or $700,000. I didn't think I had enough money to pull it off. I had no money really, you know, you know I'm, I, I didn't own it. I didn't have anything. Yeah. So I gave it all back and I think wow. I had 42,000 in legal fees and I ate, ate it all myself. And Ali, it took me so far into the red. <laughs> I had built a house. Um, I, I sold it and I moved into a $1,500 a month rental. So, I mean, I, I literally was worth nothing. I had $760 and I'll never forget that some of the early investors were like, Hey, you know, why would you do that? You know, like <laughs> you had the money, you had the money, just give it a go. And I was like, I didn't feel right. And, uh, I, I didn't feel like I had enough and I didn't want to lose it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to disappoint you. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the first real business lesson you learn is that it, you know, you got to do the right thing regardless of the outcome for you. And, and, and I, it hurt because I had nothing. Should you have done it? Or do you think that was the right decision? I think it was the right decision. And I think if you, you know, they say ultimately you're only as successful as your ability to listen to your inner voice. And the times when I have made wrong decisions, I haven't listened to it. And 
I look back at that pivotal moment, it, it was absolutely the right decision. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today by doing that. And, um, you know, look, the space that I had originally chose, it was vacant for eight years. So clearly no one else thought it was a good idea either. <laughs> and I think I, I really, you know, impressed the people that I had borrowed money from to say, hey, here it is back. I mean, the look on their faces were like, what? You know? Yeah, we've. this is the first time we've had anybody say yeah, they gave the money yeah. back. So, but you did build Steel Fitness. So how did you do it? You, you know, I, I I did a traditional SBA loan. I mean, I, I borrowed them. I, I borrowed like, I had $760. I started the business and I think I borrowed $100,000. Um, and, uh, and I started it. And, and the first year was like modestly successful. And then I went down to YZ and built my first store and which was really a sales facility. I had trainers going to people's homes, and and it was a it was a fun business. I mean, I was learning along the way. It was a it was a great opportunity for me to understand business and learn consumer behavior. But I I, I realized how early I was in that cycle. I mean, there wasn't any boutique fitness at that time. We were really the first one in the United States to do it. And and you kind of pivoted from the idea of building a gym to building a personal training service, right? Yeah, because the gym was too expensive. At that point, I had like literally nothing. I had $100,000 and I had some revenue that I had made along the way. So for me, it was, okay, I'm going to lease a BMW and I'm going to just provide some services in the house. So, um, you know, and, and it worked. I mean, it worked really, really well. I who, mean, I, who wanted that? Like big fancy CEOs wanted you coming yeah. to their house to train them. Yeah, yeah. Fancy CEOs, you know, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, you know, anybody that didn't want to have the experience of going to a gym. And, and we ended up, I think, by the time that that version of the business, you know, was uh, was at its peak, I think I had 12 or 14 cars, um, you know, doing 10 sessions a day. I mean, we, we were doing a lot of revenue in people's homes, um, but it wasn't tremendously scalable. It was heavy lifting and uh, you know, certainly no pun intended, heavy lifting, very, very <laughs> difficult. And, you know, it wasn't something that was ever sellable or scalable. Okay. But so, so then the next iteration was to start opening gyms of your own. Yeah. And, and I called, I, I knew a, a small company called Lululemon at the time and I called them. <laughs> and as before Just the Lululemon- little, little startup. Well, you know, they were selling clothes in the, um, down in Miami inside of Gold's Gym. And I called them. I said, look, I, I'd like to open up actual stores for you. And I'm going to sell personal training in the back of my studio. I'm going to deliver it inside people's homes, but I'm going to you know, move everything in studio because I don't have any drive time. I could go back to back to back. And I'm going to sell a lot of your clothes in the front. Are you open to it? And they actually said yes. And so we opened uh, the first full line Lululemon stores in the country inside. In fact, it was downtown Wyzetta that it happened. And most people don't even remember. It was so fast after that. You know, we, we, we were selling 30, 40,000 a month in in-store personal training. And I was selling like 80,000 a month in Lululemon clothes. So hmm. clearly I was in the wrong business. Yeah. And uh, that, that was a short-lived thing. Lululemon quickly realized that, you know, hey, we were, we were selling way too much. I mean, out of like 1,500 square feet. I mean, we Fascinating. couldn't- Fascinating. Like I've had, you know, we sold more groove pants and, de <laughs> and, and, and defined jackets. Well, because they didn't have stores all over. They didn't have stores. Then. And so yeah. we, we crushed it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had Keystone margin. So I was making more margin on the clothing, honestly, than we were the service. And uh, I realized at that point, I, I, I wanted to build, a, you know, the first real boutique business, retail, training. And, and then I started to scale that. And, and that's kind of how we ended up building a, a real business. What was the peak of, of Steel Fitness? At its height, you had how many different locations? I, th I think we had seven stores, maybe six stores. But the, the, kind of the, the highlight reel, if you will, was, you know, I, I called Kevin Plank, who's the CEO of Under Armour, out of the blue. In fact, I sent him an email, guessed his email, sent it to him and said, hey, I'm partnering with Lululemon. I built their women's business in Minnesota. They're building stores now. I know your women's business isn't that great. Would you ever call me back? Could I ever 
do a deal with Under Armour. And I'm not kidding. He wrote back in like four minutes. And, and I, I was shocked. I remember I was sitting at the walker, whereas I was used to sit there and kind of like brainstorm of like how in a creative space, how do I like make my life work? Right. And I would sit in that little place downstairs where the restaurant was yeah. and I sent him an email and he got back to me and I, and I called him and, and he, he said, look, you know, let's, let's do a deal. And so we partnered with Under Armour. They licensed my name um, and uh, built clothes under the steel brand. And we, we actually opened their first uh, seventh full line store in the country inside of 50th in France. I remember. And um, after that, you know, we made national headlines. Um, it was an innovative model. Under Armour backed us. And it was the, really the first time a, a billion dollar brand had opened inside of a, a small brand. And, mm-hmm. and we made, you know, an, uh, fortunately enough wave that I, we had, to, you know, a couple, couple offers for the business and, and we sold. So that's when you decided it was time to, to get out. Did, I mean, was it just too, too alluring not to? Did you, were you ready to be done with owning a gym? Yeah, you know, I needed to learn uh, the, the next phase of my career, and I wanted to be out of the business. And the reality of it was I, I knew that we – I had no idea the path I would take, but I, I knew that the offer that I had was by far the best I would, I would have. And, uh, you know, it was a bunch of cash up front, which as a young entrepreneur with not a lot of resources, and you're trying to make it work, it's your first real event where your life changes. And, um, and, and, you know, I took the deal and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm thankful that I did. I, I sold to, to Snap. What most people don't realize is it was, it, it was a private equity firm called Summit Partners that bought us. So, so they combined Snap Fitness and Steel Fitness together um, and they, it was a private equity owned. So, um, and what I did not know was two months after I was purchased, they flipped the business to another private equity firm. So, I went from a, a group of owners that I, was, that I knew to a group that I had no idea. Mm-hmm. It was their first fitness investment. Um, and uh, so I, I became, you know, Steel Fitness was owned by a private equity firm that I had never met. And I was working for people I didn't know. And um, You stayed on to, to run it. You know, and, and it, 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 yeah, I stayed on, quote unquote. I mean, I, I had to. And, and part of the deal that we had was, you know, they were supposed to grow the Steel Fitness brand. The reality of it is, you know, I don't know if they didn't have intentions of growing it. I don't know what happened. It just didn't, you know, there, there, there was a lot wrong there. Um, and in the process, in the, in the merge over of the companies, all of the C-level executives basically either quit or got fired. And so I was kind of like the only guy sitting there after the dust settled and uh, with a new investment partner. And, you know, I think I had a choice to make, which, which is, did I, do I resign? Do I leave? Or do I convince them that, hey, we need to, you know, I'd like to run your actually your parent company. And, and I had a very different vision for them than what they were sold. So that was a, an interesting board meeting. <laughs> what did you end up doing? You know, they sat us down and, and they had bought, you know, when you, when you go out and sell a big company like that, I think they had a thousand U.S. stores, you know, Snap Fitness did at the time, a thousand U.S. stores. I think they had Mexico, 30 stores in Mexico, maybe 20 in India. Um, and they had been sold on this idea that Snap Fitness could get to 4,000 stores in the U.S. And, you know, you and I both know any, any educated consumer realizes there's no chance that Snap Fitness was going to build 4,000 stores in the United States. It just, it just, it was at its, it's an end of life product, right? And yet, you know, investment bankers, they see the writing and they see the SIM and the book and they get excited and say, we can triple the business, we can quadruple the business. And, uh, and I remember them asking me, I said, hey, Steele, do you believe, you know, we, we bought the company on the idea we can grow it. Do you believe it's actually possible we can grow it in the United States? I said, you have no chance of growing it in the United States. <laughs> and uh, and wh- why were you so sure? Just because of the competition? 
you know, be, because we had a competitor in the market, mm-hmm. you know, anytime, anytime that had done an incredible job. Right. And that, Snap was the same kind of idea, right? Where same you idea. Open 24 hours, it, you go whenever. Exactly. A box with equipment in it. E- exactly. And that, and it was a great idea. So it wasn't that it was a bad idea and it wasn't more poorly run or any of those types of things. But I said, guys, you're, you're, you're focusing on a, on a market that you're not going to win. So why don't we just pivot the whole country? and focused to be the best brand internationally. And uh, they kind of looked at me, and, I, and I'm sure they thought this cocky kid, like, how does he going to know what he is doing? But they somehow let me do it. And um, we had, you know, two countries at that point. Maybe I think we had some stores in Australia and, and uh, you know, maybe a couple hundred stores in, in Australia. So that was kind of the second market. And we had roughly 1,200, and um, they let me do it. And by the time I left in March of 17, you know, I had opened up 25 countries. We, we added about 1,000 stores internationally and became the number one brand in the world hmm. um, because I took all of the design influences of, of Steel Fitness and the way we treated our customers and the way we built the brand, and we regionalized it. So in Spain, it, it was built for the Spanish consumer. You know, in, in, in the UK, we broke every record in the country for most, you know, fastest rapid growing chain ever. And, and everything was designed unique and it was, you know, super bespoke. It was beautiful. You know, if, if, a, if a Snap Fitness customer went overseas and saw the brand, they'd say, holy cow, this is gorgeous, right? Mm-hmm. And if a Snap Fitness customer from the UK came to the US, they'd say, what happened? You know, but that's okay. And you can do that and, and you can build a brand and do that. And so the reality of it was we became a, a, a massive force and um, we did it by focusing on a part of the country or the world that they had not bought, but still performed. But they still have stores here. Still do. And I, I think they've, they're closing more than they're opening, of course, like most fitness today. But, but pre-pandemic, I mean, it, it was not a halo brand in the U.S., but most definitely was in Europe. Um, yeah. And that's where we focused. And yeah, office out of London and would fly back and forth and open stores and, uh, and really built and understood franchising and how to build a brand and how to make it specific for every set of customers. Okay, that was the next key question. Yeah. You learned franchising, which obviously is playing a huge role in what you're doing now. What did you learn and what did you like about the franchise model? I mean, it was, it was an amazing way to scale a business, um, but it, it, it was fun because everything that we did in my former company or, or, you know, that I didn't build or, you know, I helped grow it, of course. Um, I mean, there was so much wrong with the way they did it. And the reality of it was, is that, you know, this whole idea of franchising is always set up as you have this franchisor that is sort of like this ultra, you know, uh, authoritative figure and, and you just manage from the top down and everybody falls in line. And so I said, look, if I'm going to do this, what we're going to do is very differently. We're going to build a system where you know, I have fewer franchisees. They all are winners. You know, so we, 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 you know, we're partnering with deep groups that have deep benches that are experts in their field. And, and, and we're going to all learn from each other. And we're going to build a system where, you know, if my phone rings and it's a franchisee, I want to take that call. Um, I'm not going to push it off to my teammates. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to welcome the opportunity to have those relationships. And so, you know, it, 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 it taught me how to do it the right way. And certainly, um, you know, both Crispin Green and Stock and Spade have deeply benefited by it. But, you know, I think franchise systems ultimately can be incredible. It just is an older way of doing business. I mean, you know, McDonald's used to do it, but, mm-hmm. you know, most fitness does it, but not a lot of other brands. You kind of don't think of it that way anymore. Right. Why did you leave your role with Snap? Boy, lot, lots of reasons. Um, the reality of it was is that I, I had... Uh, you know, my, I, I was under a contract and, and so I had to stay, you know, people were, I mean, I remember my, my community around me saying, Steel, what, what are you doing at Snap Fitness? You know, like what well, doesn't even fit you, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and I tried hard to fit in. I mean, I bought a, I bought a Mini Cooper. Um, 
Hell, I'm not kidding. I mean, I, I show up the first day. That was your nod to being at the low end of the fitness market. And, huh? I, and I, had to sell, <laughs> I had to sell the story. I showed up in the first day in a 9-11, and I remember the looks on the people's face in, in the company. Uh-huh. And they looked at me like, who do you think you are, you know? And, and I, I, I was as kind of a person when I started as when I left, but the reality of it was is I understand I had a role to play. You know, I was a, I, I had to feel and look and be like everybody else, and, and, I, and I just was an employee. And believe me, I was treated that way. You know, I, I was, and I had to live it. Otherwise, I couldn't authentically do it. I couldn't show up every day with a smile on my face, not, um, you know, without actually playing the part. So you looked at it, you know, you play the part. Just like, you know, when you're an actor, you go in and you play the part. And I, I'd wear kind of like, you know, not my clothes. And I kind of go in there. I had like a dumb haircut. And I kind of <laughs> make decisions. And, you know, and I was adding EBITDA to that brand. So they were performing. They were very, very happy with the mm-hmm. performance. I mean, we, we, we crushed it, right? But I think for me, I had to become a different person to play that role. And I was, done, I was tired of doing that. Okay. Well, speaking of the person you are, maybe this is a good place to, to ask. Can we talk about your name? You got it. W- were you really born Steel Smiley? Absolutely not. <laughs> what is your, will you reveal your <laughs> yeah, name? <laughs> a- absolutely. I, I think that that's, you know, the, the, the part of a good brand and the part of someone who, you know, can ultimately morph, which is what I had to do as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to play the part. And... Uh, in fact, I just, I just had this conversation with my kids not too long ago, and I think they were surprised. But, um, you know, one of my biggest challenges, and you can, you know, you, you, people have a hard time believing this today, but as a, as a child, um, I had a difficult time, you know, speaking. I, I had a super stutter. Mm. Um, I couldn't say words, and I think even my parents will probably listen to this and say, man, how did we not know? You know, but it's one of those weird things that people don't understand, you know, when you're comfortable and you're in your home environment. You know, you're able to use your words and you don't have those same problems. But man, when I had to introduce myself in school, I couldn't do it. Huh. I couldn't do it. And, um, you know, so it, it, was, uh, it was tough. And I, I remember, you know, my, my God-given name is Derek J. Smiley. Smiley and, is real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I, I remember thinking to myself every time. I had to introduce myself. I'm getting hot just thinking about it. Cause it, it you know, it's, 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 as a child, that's the toughest thing, yeah. you know? And I would, I'd have to sing it, you know, because people who can't say words when they're nervous or they're uptight, you know, they kind of have to, you have a rhythm. And so if you ever speak to someone who has a stutter and, and my heart goes out to them so deep because it, it's the hardest thing to see as someone that lived with it. But, you, you know, I kind of would say my name. I'd say, my name is Derek J. You know, I, I kind of like say it. And, and use my breath. And, yeah. um, and it, it became impossible for me to say. And then when I got into my professional career, my first job, I had to introduce myself to people. And I mean, I would, they'd look at me like, what's your problem? You know, and they don't know because they see a confident guy looking back at them. And so, you know, in, in 2000, I said, you know, to heck with it. I'm, I'm done with it. I need to become a different person in order for me to manifest my, my life. And um, I, if I can't introduce myself, I'm not, I'm not going to win. And so the reality of it was is that I needed uh, a, a stronger name, and I, t- I took it a family name, you know, from my grandfather, and uh, used used the word steel, and um, you know, I I, I I took Derek J and and put it together as DJ, which is my, you know my middle name, which is a homage to my family's radio business, and then kept the word Smiley, and then that was now 21 years ago. Wow. Um, but it it was done out of a place of. You know, I got to be able to be confident enough to be able to say who I was. And, I, and I, 
I think deep down, maybe you're not happy with who you were because, you know, you're this wallflower kid who can't really speak his mind or, or, or manifest his life without being able to actually, you know, um, you know, without being able to introduce yourself. I mean, right. you, you can't, anybody who has this issue, um, it's the most humbling thing in the world. If you, if you can't even say who you are, you have a huge problem. And uh, it was in that pivotal moment, Allie, where I said, I have to become a different person or I'm done. You know, I can't, I can't live the life I want to live if mm-hmm. I can't even say who I am. And so when you became steel, what, what else did that mean? Was that the haircut and the car? What, what else happened when you became steel? You know, I, I think a lot of it, I look back and probably would change it today. You know, I think it was this idea, I'm going to build a a business around it and I'm going to be, you know, known for fitness and I'm going to do all these things. And, and, you know, the, the, the steel of today, you know, which is really who I believe I was always supposed to be, you know, would never do that. I mean, I would never name something after myself. You know, I would never be, you know, that I, I try to be self-deprecating and, and I, mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful, you know, live every day with gratitude and, and thankfulness. Um, but I, I think it does, it, it did give me a sense of, you know, confidence to, to sure. redo your life. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was, it was crazy too, you know, the people that didn't adopt it, you know, or didn't want to go by it. Like I just never spoke to them again, you know, <laughs> it's like, like if you can't vibe with it, wow. then we're not friends today. Complete um, transformation. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, uh, I, I, I really think everyone gets the choice every day to wake up and be who they want to be. And certainly you don't have to go through all of that effort to be that person, but I think everyone makes that choice. And for me, that was a part of what I needed to do to manifest my life. And ultimately, it was probably my first big brand marketing decision I made, and, and boy, did it work. When we return, Steele makes his next big branding play in healthy eating. Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Is your bank a partner or simply a provider? In today's environment, businesses need a bank that can move quickly and act creatively. Platinum Bank understands the Twin Cities market, partnering with clients to overcome challenges and capitalize on opportunities. Their financial products and services are tailored to meet the unique needs of your organization. To learn how Platinum Bank can be an asset to your business, visit www.platinumbankmn.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. With some money in his pocket and a non-compete that locked him out of the fitness industry, Steele turned his attention to the restaurant business. He had big dreams, of course, but real concerns about being taken seriously. So fast forward, you've left Snap, you have a little money in your pocket, you start doing some investing, and one of the investments was Crispin Green. Yeah, and, and, and I owe my, you know, my best friend Ryan Ryan Burnett, who's a superstar and uh, just, you know, a, a dear friend. And we had this, we came up with this idea where we'd say, okay, you know, I, I came to him and said, let's build a, a salad chain. And he said, you know, he gave me like a deadpan look, but for like five seconds, I was like, man, he doesn't like it. And they said, let's do it. I said, but here's the thing, Ryan, I'm already working for Snap Fitness. Like, I can't do this. So we started in November of 16. And, you know, I, and I had no, you know, n- no day-to-day activity. Um, but I would go in at night, NYZ, and I would, I would bust the tables and I would make sure everyone's doing okay. And I think a lot of people were like, Steve, why are you here? Like, 
Ryan built this restaurant. Like, why are you busting tables? Right. Why are you going in and out of the kitchen? So, and just for a little background for people who don't know, Ryan was in the restaurant business, got a lot of buzz when, when he first opened Crisp and Green. Yeah. What, what made you think, let's open a salad business? You know, I, I knew it was the future of eating, and I was non-competed out of doing anything to do with fitness. So I couldn't touch fitness for years. Ah. And I knew that the next thing that I knew was how to eat healthy. But I also knew and was smart enough to realize no one would ever have taken me seriously as a restaurateur. In fact, I think it was just this year where people started to say, okay, this guy can actually put together a restaurant. But I, I said, Ryan, look, we got to do this deal, and you have to come out as the guy who built it because no one's going to believe I did it. Hmm. And, uh, you know, you got to put your name on it and it's got to be all you. And I need to be, be completely behind the scenes. In fact, I didn't come out as a, even a partner in the business, I think, until a year and a half later. Yeah. And then we concocted this crazy story about how I bought it, you know, <laughs> but I didn't. Why did you do that? Because we, tried, we, tried, we had to figure out, like, how, how did I get into the business without, like, I mean, because I already said it was his. So then yeah. how, how does. How do we go from it's his business to then now it was actually Steele's from the very beginning? Yeah. So I bought it, quote unquote, and, uh, you know, for zero dollars. And, uh, and, and, you know, we basically just shaped it then. And then, you know, and then I put in my team and, uh, and, and the rest is history. But it, Ryan stepped away. But I mean, yeah. basically, you were a silent partner. You were a co-founder from the beginning. Well, I was a founder from the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. Ryan came in and put his na- name and face on it because. He had the cachet as being someone who could get people in the door, and um, and and I knew I needed someone like that to be able to be, you know, the the face of the business. And little did I know that he and I would become, you know, just tight and 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 family, which is mm-hmm. what we are today. We're brothers. We we say it every day. But it was it was in that moment we both dropped our egos, and I said, "You take the first ring, you know, the first loop, and I'm going to take the second, and uh, and that's the way we designed it." Was franchising in your mind from the beginning with Crispin Green? It was, but pan, until pandemic came, Crispin Green didn't work the way we wanted to. I mean, it, it was a great business. It was doing well, but we did not get the, the attention that we needed until after, after the pandemic hit. Because the reality of it was we, we had spent a lot of the money that we had investing in digital tools. 7% of the people used them. So we had this crazy business that was so driven on people using our technology to order and take uh, or order and deliver to their homes. And everyone wanted to come through the damn door. And so we had 55, 60 people in line every day, Allie. And we keep, you know, we're, now I can get you out in nine minutes, but that throttles the amount of volume I can do in my stores. Wow. And so you were actually handicapped by the fact that people wanted to come to Crispin Green. You know, and I'm thankful. And, and, and we, we didn't ever want them not to come. Mm-hmm. But in order for us to get the volume we needed to make the business as successful as it did, I needed people to order digitally. And people wouldn't do it. Who was doing that at the time? What even made you think to, to try to set it up that way? I knew it was the future. I knew that everything would be done off your app. And of course, that's not a new idea. But in yeah. early 16 and 17, I think, you know, I, I kind of, I, I, don't, I don't like to, I don't say I see the future, but I always think in 10-year increments. So like, what's coming? And I just didn't believe the future of the restaurant was in the store all the time. I, I just didn't think it. And so we, you know, we had, we had invested that money and, I, and I, it was, it was, looking very early like that would be a, a poor mistake. I mean, because yeah. it didn't work. No one used it. Seven. Per- I mean, and, and to be full transparency, I didn't use the app. I mean, yeah. I didn't use the app until the pandemic hit. Like yeah. I would call the store like, like an old guy, <laughs> like, hey guys, could you make more? And it was wrong like 50% of the time. Yeah. And I, and I realized at that point, I'm like, man, you know, this technology 
and my team was like, still use the damn technology. You, you had the technology. So a lot of a lot of restaurants had to literally on the fly try to create a way to do online orders. You had that technology where I could customize a salad from my phone. We we had not only did we have it, I think it was the best technology in the world. I mean, it was people have compared compared our app to to no one. I mean, they said, look, it's better than Chipotle than than Starbucks. We had put in hundreds of hours. So we we developed it. We all, all the top end technology was all stuff that we had built. The problem is no one used it. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into 2020, where was Crisp and Green? You had how many stores? We had like six stores, I think. We had a couple on the way or five stores and a couple on the way. We'd you did s- have Chris Humphreys. You know, we, we did, but we also realized that Chris Humphreys isn't, you know, you can't stand him in front of the store and everyone shows up. I mean, it only works like one time. And uh-huh. so the reality of it was, I mean, he's, a, he's a, you know, a dear friend too. And, you know, he took the first leap of faith, which I'm forever grateful for. And, uh, but he had the he same- He was your first franchise. First franchisee, but just in Minnesota. We mm-hmm. couldn't get anyone to take it out of Minnesota. I mean, everyone declined us. We hired a sales rep to help us meet people out of state. Everyone told me no. Um, and, uh, you know, Chris said, no, I'm not taking this thing out of state. I mean, you know, you, you built this technology. No one, you didn't use it in his store either. So, you know, we were doing well. It was a great business, but I needed something massive to happen so that people would use technology. And little did I know that actually happened. Cue the pandemic. Yeah. It, so early days, everybody shuts down, everybody's at home. What did you do? I, I went to the team. It was, a, uh, it was like February or March. You know, I knew things were getting weird. And like, I think it was in April when the world, I, I remember exactly what day, late March or it was, Yeah, April. middle of March. And uh, that day, I called everybody in. We had all team meeting. And I said, look, guys, not only are we not going to go remote, we're, we're not leaving this office. In fact, not <laughs> only are we not leaving this office, we're going six days a week. What? And so, and to this day, we never went, went, went remote. We never worked from home. Everybody stayed in the office. And I said, look, we're going to pod as a team, and I need your families to buy into it, and I want you to go home. And if your family can't do it and you don't want to do it, then I'm going to let you work from home. But I'll be damned. Everybody came back the next day, which was a Saturday. And they, they said, look, we are all in. Our families are in. We're going to try to double down and grow the business right now because we think no one's watching. No one else is going to do it. And quite frankly, we had no choice. I mean, I thought it was the end of not only my business career, but everything I had worked for. I thought it was over. And I think everybody else in the country kind of thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I said, what, how do we work? I mean, I'm not a stranger of hard work. Uh, I said, we will work our way out of this, but we are not going remote. And uh, if anybody feels sick, then, you know, look, you're, you're exiled off the island and we won't see you for a month or so. We'll, we'll carry on without you. And you didn't have outbreaks among your team? We had a single person who got sick. And I mean, I didn't let her come back in the office for three months. We were so nervous about it. And uh, Kaylee, she'll listen to this and crack up but she was at home she would call she said hey, y'all, you can, hey can i come back to the office <laughs> we're like no no you can't come back and and because we didn't know you know could mm-hmm. you catch it and we were all doing so well so we stayed and we worked and and what we saw was amazing so we had like two weeks where no one did anything right i had payroll uh i i said look guys i need everyone to take a reduction i'm gonna make up your payroll in stock and I'm going to, at that day, I said, I'm going to make everyone in this room a shareholder. Same stock I have. You all get it. And I said, How you know, big was your team? You know, we had a team of like nine directors. Mm-hmm. And th- those are the people that stayed in the office, the, the directors, the people moving, you know, moving, moving the mountain. I said, everyone on my team is going to be an owner of this company. 
and um, I'm gonna make I'm gonna double whatever you don't take in comp. I'm gonna double it in stock, and then I'm gonna add stock on top of that when we get out of the mess. Wow. What did What did you do about the the frontline workers, about the staff in each store? We 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 kept every single person. We didn't lay off a single person. So our corporate team all took about a fifth. Some people took a hundred percent reduction in salary. I you know I went down to zero. We had some people that took 50%, you know, whatever anybody could. It was kind of like an honor system. Like, if you can do it, let's do it. We ended up adding 30% more staff during, during that time. Um, but I'm proud we never laid off a person, and we kept everybody, and, and we grew. And well, So what, when, was there like a day or a moment when all of a sudden people started using the app? Yeah, it was like three weeks in. And, you know, like, I'm sweating bullets. I mean, you know, we did not have a high cash position. You know, we were you know, doing our best, but like you can only sustain for so long. You know, that, that was before PPP or any of these types of products. I mean, that, you know, you're watching your cash positions thinking, okay, I mean, this, is, this thing's going in the wrong direction. All of a sudden, like a Monday, we had volume that was kind of like a regular Monday. And then Tuesday came in and it was like a regular Tuesday. And then by like Friday- All, all orders, all, all digital orders. Well, it, it was a mixture. And, and I didn't, and I, and I talked to our head of technology and I said, hey, what's the mix? And he's like, is crazy. 75, 80% are digital. And so when for, when told you cannot go to the restaurant, people took to their phones and said, I want a salad. They want a salad. And so (laughs) we switched all of our social media at that point. We said, look, push everything, tell people we have an app. And and we saw about 2000 people a week downloaded the app, 2000 a week. And uh, I think we added 65 or 70,000 Minnesota users in like about a two month timeline. And all of a sudden, within about a month later, we were not only where we were before, we were at volumes that were record levels. And, and, and then we got a, a, a call that was, I'll never forget, we got a call of our first out-of-state you know, franchisee. And How did he, they know you? You know, the, they, they knew of my brand um, already, and they called and they said, hey, you know, we heard your stores are performing well. And we were in Minneapolis, and we saw not only a line, but we could see, you know, we saw all the bags lined up. So 50th in France, we have kind of a garage door and we have like this bench and there were like 30 bags lined up. And he's mm-hmm. like, I've never seen any business like that that has that many bags. And so he said, not only do I want to take you to Texas. And so we ended up doing a deal in Texas. And then after Texas, you know, we added eight more states and, uh, you know, it, it, our world changed forever. But now, you know, 60 some percent of our population, our, 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 our users are using the digital tools. And before 7% was. So it, it was like millions of dollars of free advertising to get people to use digital when they wouldn't do it before. And it, it changed our life. Do you see this as a sustained change? Have we, have we fundamentally changed the way we order food? For, for the, the brands that have technology, it will always be high technology. For the brands that have a good in-store experience, it will stay a good in-store experience. We're lucky we had both. So we had double volume. So we had, you know, the record volume of in-store traffic. We had record volume. And then when the in-stores came back, you know, the digital stayed. So, you know, we, we're very fortunate today, you know, to have a brand that is performing at the highest level. And, um, you know, I think we'll build more restaurants in Crispin Green in the next 18 months than any restaurant chain in the United States. How, how many are there currently? I think we've got 64, which changes every day, 64 built-in development in eight states. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that number is far higher by the end of the year. I mean, we're already in May here as we as you and I talk. So, um, you know, we are growing at, at a at a rapid clip and that's exciting. Also so interesting that there were that many um, people interested in 
thinking about building a new business, opening storefronts in the middle of the pandemic. You what know, do you make of that? It was all of the franchisees from other systems that realized that they were doing well. You know, we had a Domino's guy who, you know, they had 250 Domino's. We had a uh, Jimmy John's guy, you know, who had 82 stores. Hmm. Um, anybody that was in a business that was performing said, this is my chance to get three times ahead. And that's who we met. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're fortunate enough that, you know, we met them, but we're also very respectful of the fact that, that the success of the pandemic was indiscriminate and it didn't matter whether you, you know, yes, we worked hard, but it it was, it was by grace that our, our industry happened to work. And we know that our full service friends did not have that luck. And, um, you know, it, it has been humbling to say the least. And, and you don't, the last thing you want to do is you want to go and celebrate, Hey, we're working, we're doing great. We're fastest growing brand in the United States. But the reality of it is, as you say, man, it, it, we could have been the other camp. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think a healthy ecosystem is one where you have all types of restaurants and all types of retail. You know, we, we don't want a world where it's only sure. crisp and greens. One quick question. Here in this market, you were, you know, at the forefront of the whole salad craze and having fast casual, you know, salad places. In other markets, there are other chains. There's Sweet Green. There are others. What do you think makes Crispin Green special? You know, there are about 200 fast casual restaurants uh, that serve healthy salads in the country. You know, the largest chain has about 104 stores. We're not that far behind that. and, you know, the reality of it is, is, is that I think, you know, our product is very different. I mean, we are from scratch kitchen. So, you know, and that was one of the early great ideas that Ryan had, you know, coming from the full service background is that, you know, we're not going to do bag, this bag salad thing. We're not going to dump it in. I mean, we're going to literally cut it ourselves. We're going to, you know, when the, when the first corn came in in like a box from the farm and it was like a farm box, I was like, y'all kidding. I mean, we have to actually cut the corn like it doesn't come cut, you know. And he's like, no, that's going to taste better. And he was right. And so it was about dropping the egos and letting every good idea surface regardless of, and I said, okay, but how are we going to scale that? And so let's put a Chipotle front end on it and you can do your full service kitchen. And, and what, I, what it led to, I think is the best tasting food in the country because everything is freshly made that day, every day. Yeah, but some of the other salad chains are doing that too. Where not, make- not every item, not yeah. every item. And so, you know, and, and, and our, 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 product mix is so varied, you know, so we've got double the ingredients that everybody has. And that's small change, but, you know, it does lead to someone having, that's why our repeat guest sees us three times a week. I mean, it's, a, it's the average use, hmm. which is amazing if you think about that, you know, um, and our AUVs, our, our volumes are, are, are way higher than everybody else in the country, because I think people can eat here every day and find something that they like that's new and different that doesn't, they don't fatigue out. How to you had the community aspects, the fitness, all the free classes I gave away. The, you know, the place that, you know, it's the place to be seen and, and, and see, and, and it's, uh, it's healthy, it's affordable, it's fast, it's all the things. So it's a, it's a combination, I think, of all the factors. So then one night, you're in line for your salad, of course. Yeah, yeah. And your son says... He says, uh, and I'll do his voice, he, he says, he's very emphatic, and, and he says, um, back away from the mic, he, he <laughs> said, hey, Asher, you know, we, can I take you to Christopher Green? He's like, Dad, Dad, what the heck? He's like, I... Can I just get a burger? You know, and, I'm, I'm, and he does this like whole thing, like Dad, you idiot. You know, like he's how old? He, he's eleven. He doesn't know? want to eat salads for he, dinner. He didn't, and I'm thinking to myself, I know what he wants. He wants McDonald's, right. and it's like, Ash, buddy. I mean, your dad doesn't just drive through the, the drive-through. Like, I mean, I. It's not on brand. It's not on brand, and I don't believe it. You know, yeah. and I, I mean, this isn't 1950s McDonald's. This is like you know the the, the smashed sandwich McDonald's version. I mean, mm-hmm. this is like the version of today. It's not the place you go, and. 
you know, as parents, we take our kids and we want to always make them happy. And, 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 I, and, I, and I did. I took him to, you know, you know took him to McDonald's and he, he got what he got. And I, and I remember him, you know, he was so happy, you know, for like eight minutes until he gets <laughs> on to his next thing. And I'm realizing, hey, buddy, I think I can do this better. And I didn't say anything, but that night I called my team and said, look, guys, we, we need to double down and do this again. And we need to do it and we need to do it and we need to do all plant-based and a place that I think he'll never taste the difference. It tastes just like your classic original, but we're going to make McDonald's again. We're just going to make it all healthy. And you that's what we did. You didn't want to add a burger to the crisp and green menu. You immediately saw that it, you needed to develop a whole other restaurant. You know, and I think if, if Crispin Green was a corporate chain where I owned all the restaurants, it, it, it makes some sense to think about those things. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, you've got stores in eight states or stores growing. I mean, you can't just flip the model like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are going to be people that are going to say, Steel, we signed up for this. We don't want to have, you know, all these other things on the menu, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or, you know, whatever you come up with. So, and I wouldn't want them doing it with my brand either. So sure. the reality of it is we're going to make a separate, separate business. Why plant-based? Plant-based of the future, you know, and, and I, I believe it. I've been living that lifestyle since, you know, uh, January 1st, 2014, driven by the Mayo Clinic. I mean, um, they, they said, look, you, you want to live a, a long life and, and you want to stay young and youthful. This is the way you do it. And they said, you know, no one listens to us. But and I said, no, I'm the guy. I will listen to you. And January 1st, I did. I never, never ate meat again. And, um, and I knew that plants, are, they're, 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 they're just, it's, the idea that we're going to, you know, continue with a meat-based lifestyle is completely, it, it's just old thinking. I mean, it's never going to go away, but, but mark my words, it will be 50% of what it is today a decade from now, 50%. You know, plants aren't going to work, Allie, unless they taste like the originals. And, and I always say this story, I mean, you know, the Boca Burger or the plant-based burger has been around for a long time. The problem is you go to the grocery store and you pick that plant-based option that you had of yesteryear or last month or last year or five years ago, and dad burns it, you know, and dad burns it or mom cooks it wrong or the chicken nuggets are goofy and the kids eat it. They're never touching plants again. And the reality of it is, is that as manufacturers, there are a landslide of $100 million, $300 million investments into these plant-based brands that have no consumption. And the problem is they're relying on other people to cook the product or buy the product and make it great. What Stock and Spade is doing is we are essentially making it the way it was intended to be made. And we're teaching people it can taste like the classic original. And we're, we're adopting more people into that plant-based lifestyle than have ever been that way before because some of them don't know the difference. Some of them are in for the notoriety or, or the interest level. But, you know, if you can touch thousands of customers in a week and say this is how it can taste, they're going to adopt that lifestyle for all the reasons that, we, that you just mentioned. And, and everyone can pick their own, right? Did you consider, you know, have, I mean, a lot of restaurants are now serving an impossible burger or a beyond burger. Did you think about going that route? Yeah, but the reality of it is, is your brand is then tied to theirs. And so what happened was a lot of those early brands, I mean, they, they sell the product and they run out. So what, what, what happens if I relied on a supplier and the product's gone? You know, I, I don't want to build a national chain, you know, which I firmly believe will be a, you know, will be a blockbuster hit, you know, God willing. And, and, and I think my, I've got the team to do it. But the reality of it is, is that I think you have to have your own supply chain. You have to be a specialist in that in order to grow. And I, you know, I don't want to be beholden to someone else's, uh, you know, supply. If they run out, I run out. And, uh, you know, it just, you just can't build a, a national brand that way. So your team went into the kitchen. You've got this idea. I'm, I have to build a plant-based burger chain. 
It's been done in bits and drabs. Some people have had some success, but there's no real national brand. You see the opportunity. You send your team into the kitchen to come up with the burger, the one that's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And not only do we say go in and make a burger, come out with a whole suite of things. And I had sort of, you know, back of the napkin sort of sketched out what I wanted the menu to look like. And I mean, first iteration was like not there. I mean... And I, I mean, we probably went through 400 iterations of the burger alone to get to where it needed to be. And only when it was, you know, uh, uh, next to a real uh, meat burger and no one could tell the difference did we decide to go commercial with the idea. And we did tests. We put people in a room and we gave everybody a plant-based burger and we said, you know, we, we, we're, we're, te- we're beta testing a new meat burger and uh, we want you to test it. And they all were like, well, it tastes, you know, look, it tastes like this. And then we say, look, it's plants. And then we did this like nine times and nobody could tell. And when we knew nobody could tell, then we said, you know, look, this is, this is something I can, I can invest in and be commercial with and, and build something really special. And, and, uh, and that, you know, that's what we did. Everything on the menu is plant-based. There's no dairy. No, and because it, dairy is a disaster, Allie. I mean, it's, <laughs> it is, is it inflammatory. It is all the wrong. You just don't want it in your life. And I knew that from a fitness instructor, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, you know, if you, if you want to live a, a long-lasting life, you're going to eat plant-based. Now, I'm not asking everybody to eat it for the rest of their life. I'm just saying adopt it. And you've been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is, is that most people are just starting their journey. And I want them to, to, to try the product and say, look, I can live with this. And, and, and maybe they adopt it one day a week, and then they keep adding it into their life. But the reality of it is, is that I need people to just to give it a try. And, and, and people have done that. In fact, the first day, we had almost 700 people in line. Um, you know, the video from that day, I, I mean, I, I was like totally emotional because like I expected, you know, my mom and maybe like a couple of my friends to show up. Like, <laughs> Come I, on. No, Allie, and I, and I think that that's the naivete, but also the humbleness of like not knowing what you do affects people. You know, like I, I didn't know if anyone was going to show up, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't tell my neighbor who I think would like it, but like, I didn't know if he'd like, like it. So I don't, I didn't tell anybody, you know, we didn't, you just kind of let it happen. And, and I get there and there's like six people and then it goes to 60. And then it, it just, I mean, I greeted over 600 people. We gave away $21,000 of free food by four o'clock. I was going to say the free food helps with getting people. In it the helped. The but question it, is, will they come back the next day? And they did, Allie. Yeah. And then they came back the next day and they came back the next day. In fact, what I just did, I just, you know, we just spent a, 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 a ton of money re- rebuilding my kitchen. They're going to do it overnight this Saturday. And, and, and we're extending everything. We're making everything bigger because I can't get food out fast enough. So, you know, we, we had um, some really challenges in the model, just in the, in, in the time and the, the speed. Um, but those are all things I can fix. You know, you can buy your way out of those problems. But we're lucky that people, you know, they've, they, there's a lot of passion around this, this topic. And, uh, you know, we believe we, we, have, we have big things ahead. It, it is definitely a moment. I mean, plant-based has been in the news and, I mean, constantly lately. And, you know, it's happening at all the big chains. And, you know, as you said, um, it, I think what's cool is that you think of plant-based diets as being like a really earthy, like super healthy restaurant, right? That isn't a lot of fun. You're doing a kind of a classic burger joint with yeah. shakes and fries, but everything is plant-based on the menu. So, so that's the great proposition for someone who's interested in eating that way. The question is, are there enough of them now, or are you too far ahead of the trend? Are you going to get meat eaters who would have been going to a McDonald's to say, we're going to go to Stock and Spade instead? I don't think the McDonald's goer of if I can say that, of 1957 or 1962 or 74 or 84 is the same person that's going there today. I mean, 
it is a completely different experience than what they intended. And the reality of it was, is I'm trying to give you that experience of what it was in, in, in yesterday, you know, what it used to be. And, you know, I believe people are going to continue to keep doing it because, I, you know, why wouldn't they make that choice? If it tastes like what they love, they're going to do it. And they're going to love the ice cream. And they're going to love the chicken sandwiches. What's in it? What's in that ice cream? You, you know, it, it is, it is oat-based. You know, it's oat-based. And, uh, you, know, there's, you know, the reality of it is is that, you know, we're, we're, we're testing and piloting all types of new things. But, you know, there's not a single ounce of dairy. So what I always tell people is don't, don't judge me on what it tastes like. You know, come in the store. You're going to like the experience. We're going to treat you great. We're going to make sure everything's to what you like. But, come, but, you know, go work out two hours later. Go on that walk. You know, you're not going to have that burger hangover or that, that hangover that you have for me and that big, you know, big meat because your body takes a lot of time to break that down. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in my case, my body couldn't do it. So the reality of it was is that plants just simply break down much faster. Your body has the ability to feel better. And, you know, it leads to something that could be, you know, perhaps one of the big national chains that, you know, you never kind of everything you never knew that you always wanted, you know, and, and that's our tag. The fries are taste like real fries. I mean, yeah, ta- yeah. I mean that that's was that intentional? I mean, you know, it's fries, not too healthy. Fries have always been plant based. You know, fries or potatoes. So you can so. just make a regular. Yeah, fry. you make a regular fry, and, right. and we make it healthier. But you know, they had to take. I want it to taste like McDonald's fries. Yeah, they who doesn't do. love McDonald's fries? But no, they're really good. I know there's been a little bit of discussion. My colleague Stephanie March, who I you know I leave all yeah. the food stuff to her, yeah. obviously at Minneapolis St. Paul. She, of course, right away wanted to know an ingredient list. What's in it? You don't have an ingredient list posted at this point. Why not? You might have to when you get larger. And I mean, is it proprietary or what? Why yeah. don't you say what's in those burgers? Well, I, I think we do. And I think most people, the reality of it is we thought we have all the calories done. We have all the sodium done. We have all the ingredients done. Um, but we realized one thing, you know, your average foodie might say, you know, it, which is it, it's primary brown rice, pea protein. Um, you know, the same, same type of, uh, of ingredients that are in most of the burgers, they're really no different. But what we realize is the average customer doesn't care. You know, it, it's kind of this, this idea of, you know, do they care about how many calories it is? And, and one of the beauty, the beautiful parts of this business is I built it where, you know, we, we, we manufacture, I mean, all the buns we manufacture, it's all, it's all vertically integrated. So we made sure that all calorically sodium you know, calories were lower, carbs were lower, sugar was lower, protein was higher than all the national competitors. So we're, we're prepared for that. But I don't think your average consumer is looking at the calories of a burger like they do at Crispin Green where they want to know the calories of the salad. Sure. Well, they might care if, if they have an allergy. For sure. Like and, and we have that. It's published. Okay. It's on the website. And, okay. and that's something I think every brand should do, whether they require or not. But we have a full list of allergens. We have to give a moment to your chicken sandwich, too. Yeah. Chicken, right? It's yeah. not real. It's yeah. not chicken. I think it's... we can say chicken, chicken. Yeah. yeah. With a posture. It's really good. Really Thank good. Thank you. Yeah. yeah um, so, all right, you have the first store open in YZ, uh, where you have started all of your brands. Um, what's next? Yeah, third, third business on the same street within 100 feet in a decade. So, you know, it's a special street. It's not a magical street. It just was like, I'm not going to go that far from where I, where I live. And, and, I, and I know it. I know the consumer. And, and uh, I think we're the largest employer today in Wazetta. Uh, we were told just this last week. So hmm. You're yeah. right across the street. Stock and Spade is right across the street from Crisp and Green. And then we have a couple offices down there. So, I mean, I think we will be Wazetta's. If we're not today, I think we certainly are or will be their largest employer ever, which is kind of fun. I mean, yeah. it's a small town of 4,000. Uh, it's a special street. But 
you know, we, 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 we knew that we wanted to uh, have a, a headlining destination. And that, that location that we're in, too, is special. But we expect big things for, you know, for Stock and Spade. I mean, that, there's no, no slowing that brand down. I mean, we've had interest from franchisees and partners all across the country. And ultimately, you know, our goal is to be the fastest growing restaurant chain in American history, which I very much believe that we will do. And um, those that know me know I'm a fanatic and I won't sleep until I actually do it, which is what exactly, you know, that's what, that's what we're going to do. And, and that's our goal. And, um, you know, I, I, my, my goal is to make sure those teammates that work, work with me, I don't say for, because I hate that word. I, I worked for someone once. I didn't like it. So we work as a team. But everyone that's on my team, I mean, these are all shareholders. And uh, this is going to be the last job they ever have. You know, once we're done with our mission here, they'll never work again. And, and some of our teammates are going to be 30 years old and, and probably done. And, Maybe I and, should apply. Jeez. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I want people to, <laughs> to, to feel like they can find a home in, in, in Steele's companies. And, um, and I want to make sure that the, it can be the last place they ever have to go. And will you, how long will you wait to open more to actually sign franchisees? You know, we're in that process right now. So we, we will have a whole fleet of stores opening in the fall. Um, you, don't, you don't need to work out kinks? You don't, no. You don't, you're not worried about moving too fast? No, we're, we're professionals at what we do. Um, you know, we, we know what we do. We've, we've ironed it out. And uh, we're, we're already have a, a whole slate of fall openings. And uh, in fact, we'll have our first store out of state by the end of the year. Wow. Fast, you know. How'd you decide on the name? You know, the name kind of came about because, I, and this one was the hardest one to name, because, you know, anything burger related, we couldn't get a, a trademark. And so it was so tough. but. You know, stock. Um, you know, stock was you know the 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 stock of a of a plant, and sure. spade was a shovel. So, you know, it kind of came about. And in fact, um, you know, we we had a bunch of people throwing names around. And I think you do when you you're building your brand, people send you suggestions. And um, I think my mom put the put the name together one night in the car. We were driving, and my my, you know, my parents love it. They help out, and they they put the name together, and it, and it just worked. And uh, I'm thinking, stock. You mean like a stalker? You know, and. <laughs> No, my mom's like, no, like a stock, like with yeah. an L, you yeah. know, like stock. And I was like, oh, oh, like a plant. And it's like, oh, wow, that's genius. And then, and then we uh, went to one of my very talented designers who works with me, and, and we made it into like a, a plant and, and a shovel, and it just was cute, and it worked. And, you know, we own the rights, you know, globally to the name, and, and that's a, a part of a billion national brand. You've got to have that. Yeah, of course. Have that right. What would you say is the key to building a successful franchise business? You know, having people around you that you trust that ultimately are willing to do whatever it takes to win. Um, and the only way to do it is to be a selfless leader in the fact of, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm all things passionate. I can definitely be, a, a, you know, uh, excited about an idea. But the reality of it is I, I've made a decision in my career. I want everyone along for the ride. And, you know, if I have success, you have success. And as, as a franchisor, you know, it, it, it has never been that way. It's always been like the franchisor has all this great life and the franchisees just, you know, they, they, they buy themselves a job. Every one of my franchisees and every brand has purchased more units. And that, that, that means that they love what they do and they've doubled down. And, you know, that, that's a special thing. And that's something most systems can't, can't say. And, you know, you, you build a system where the people around you, you care about them and you treat them like, like family and, and you make sure that, that their dreams are your dreams. And so, you know, we have, we have a process inside of my companies where I want to know what everyone's goals are. I want to know how I can help them get there, whether it's their first house or, or get their first car or, or you know, get them on vacation. And, uh, you know, we, we, we just have a very unique culture that's just, just different. And, it, and it's sort of a, a new thing that we've developed over the last couple of years because, you know, you, you grow a lot as a team through a pandemic, you know. Yeah. 
And, um, and I, I'm thankful not only to my teammates, but also to their family and their partners who allow them to be fanatical with me, you know. So is this full steel smiley realized 20 yeah. some years later when you think about how you wanted to reinvent who you wanted to be? Is this it? You know, I think this is it. And the reality of it is, I think the biggest change has been I'm not used to having people know who I am or what I do. And between Crisp and Green recently and Stock and Spade, it's been a whole new level. I mean, I, I don't I never go anywhere anymore, at least in this town, without someone coming up and saying, hey, we love this or we love this. And I'm so thankful. It's like, I can't even believe that's the case. Um, but I've become far more private and far more, maybe even a tad bit more shy as I get older. You know, that younger steel want to put his name on the door and do the fitness thing. It's like, you, you know, don't, don't do that, you know. But, you know, you learn from your younger self. And, uh, you know, you, if you live a life of gratitude and be thankful for what you do have, and, and uh, you know, that, that's what I want to be known for. Well, I'm excited to have a burger joint that I can go to. So <laughs> thank, thank you. you for that. Thank you. And uh, best of luck on your way to becoming the, uh, the fastest growing. Thank you. Thank when, you very when, much. When will you, what, what marks will you have to hit to pull that off? You know, I, I think people have said you, you need to have, I think, 50 stores, uh, 50 stores open and operating in three years, um, okay. which, you know, I, I think, we'll, I think we're going to get that done. That feels doable. So, yeah. And then I think there's a goal. There's a four-year goal and a five-year goal. So, you know, which is very aggressive. But, um, you know, we're, we're aggressive. And, uh, you know, people think I'm aggressive until they meet my team and they realize, man, you've got a, a real group of high achievers uh, mm -hmm. over there, which is what it takes to win. Yeah, well, good luck doing that. You'll have to Thank come you, back Ari. when that happens. Of course, when we of hit course. the milestone. Anytime. Thank you, Steele. Well, that Steele Smiley is quite a character. You knew he would be with a name like Steele Smiley. I can't believe I got him to admit his first name isn't really Steele. Well, anyway, his business strategy is inspiring, and I'm sure there are a lot of us who think, wow, I want to come up with a new concept and run out and franchise it immediately. It seems like a good way to grow. Is it? For more perspective, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, where Mark Spriggs is an associate professor. We're so glad you're joining us today, Professor Spriggs, to bring a little perspective on the whole franchising model. If you're a new entrepreneur just starting out, how do you know if franchising is right for your concept? Well, there's, there's certain kinds of franchises, uh, certain kinds of businesses that are really good for franchising. And for example, Steele's businesses uh, all the way down through his history from Snap to uh, the Crispin Green to the current Stock and Spade. Those are all the kinds of businesses that lend themselves well uh, to franchising. You have to have a local presence there. Um, you have to have individual units. And so those are really good kinds of businesses for franchising. So can anybody do this? I mean, we, we were talking earlier that, you know, it, it might be easier for steel to get investors quickly on Stock and Spade because he already has a proven track record with Crispin Green and with Steel Fitness. What if you're just starting out? Well, if you're just starting out, people are going to be skeptical of what your concept is and whether you can actually uh, have someone else do that. I mean, it's, it's when you look at some of these concepts, is this concept a good concept or is it because it's a good concept because Steel uh, is running it or is it a good concept because the particular franchisor is running it. Mm -hmm. You've got to you've got to be able to translate what that franchisor in his initial units uh, is doing to what a franchisee 
you know, out in Hutchinson, Minnesota, uh, is going to be able to do with that particular franchise. Mm-hmm. And and I guess you have to decide if you're investing in the idea or in the person or both. Right, and and when you when you're not as well known and well established as someone like Steel, uh, it's going to be hard to get franchisees to buy in. I mean, it's going to be a significant investment for a franchisee who's looking for. Uh, a potential business that's going to be successful. Right. And so as they would look at that particular business, their their question is, gee, can I, you know, can I do this? Uh, and so as a franchisor, you've got to be able to go out and convince these franchisees to give you a certain amount of money. And that money could be, you know, anywhere from 10000 to $50,000 up front. Plus they have to uh, invest in their own uh, unit or units mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to have. Meanwhile, Steele does have the track record. He certainly has the energy. Are you ready to to buy a stock and spade? Would you Would you suggest that if if somebody asked you for advice? If somebody asked me for advice on that, I would say uh, I would say wait, uh, and that's because they're they've got this unit in in Wyzetta. He knows the Wyzetta market. Um, he is involved in the uh, restaurant down there in Wyzetta. And so, and so there, there's that question of, will this concept travel mm-hmm. um, without steel? Can we run this? And even without the kinds of people that steel has, can this uh, unit succeed? Or does it succeed because of uh, steel and the others? That's in the system that you sell, what you've got to have is a proven, reliable business model that can be learned and operated quickly uh, by a franchisee. Right. That's the tricky part, transferring that magic of the founder to the other locations. Right. And and actually, you you probably can't. Um, What you have to have is the founder has to codify, create a set of rules, uh, create a set of guidelines that I can bring you in and teach you most franchise franchisee training is like a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so can I take this concept and teach you how to run it uh, in a week? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that you can go home and replicate that because the franchise system is all about replicating uh, the original corporate model. Uh, right. That's why you can't tell the difference often when you walk into a company that has uh, corporate-owned units and has franchisee-owned units. Yeah. You shouldn't be able to tell the difference. They're supposed to be the same. Well, here's what I know. I know that the French fries are really good. They've definitely figured that out. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, he's, how uh, he is doing that um, because, uh, because of the, the ways that, uh, that I know that uh, McDonald's had been making French fries. Is yep. There was some level of animal fat in those. I know. There are quite a few uh, mysteries still to uncover about Steel yes. Smiley and yes, Stock and Spade. That is for sure. Well, Mark Spriggs, thank you so much for adding your perspective and insights. We really appreciate the advice. Oh, you're very welcome, Allison. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to By All Means. We thank our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash byallmeans. That's where you'll find lots of other episodes, including several that are also about franchising and more info about the show. Thanks again for listening to By All Means. 
teamwork to make By All Means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed By All Means. Thank you.